0: Well, you as grateful for that time of worship as I was. Wow, what a what a great uh, experience we have here every single week. So, to all of those who help lead our worship Sunday after Sunday, thank you for ushering us into the presence of the Lord in that way this morning. I want to take just a personal point of privilege uh, this morning. So some of our Uh, universities have started back and we have some college students uh, with us from uh, perhaps different universities this morning. Alex Smith, uh, our college minister, was telling me that we had 37 just from North Greenville here this morning. So welcome to you guys. Uh, In case you don't know it, Dr. Fant is sitting right over here. So uh, he's there in the back, and uh, we're just delighted to have uh, students from North Greenville and uh, any other universities here with us today. We are just delighted uh, to have our college students back and just appreciative of the life that they bring into our worship and our, our time together. If you have your Bibles with you, we are in the book of Nehemiah. I'm going to tell you a story. funny thing happened Uh, in Darlington, Maryland, a few years ago. Edith, mother of eight children, was returning home from visiting her her neighbor across the street. And as she walked back into her house, she saw five of her youngest children huddled around something there in the kitchen floor. Sort of trying to sneak up on them and see what was going on see what the center of attention was, she peeked over their shoulders and she was horrified to find there right in the center of the circle made by her five young children were several baby skunks. Well, Edith said, I didn't know what to do, so I just screamed at the top of my lungs, run, children, run! And as she tells the story, every one of those children grabbed a skunk and ran. Isn't that a great story? It reminds me a little bit of what we're coming to look at together today as we continue to work our way and walk our way through the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Now, as you know, if you've been with us, Nehemiah has been called to do something along with God's Old Testament people there in Jerusalem that seem to have been fairly straightforward fairly simple, and that was to rebuild the broken down walls of the city of Jerusalem that had been in ruin for 141 years. Ever since the Babylonians uh, destroyed in 586 B.C., the city of Jerusalem tore down those walls, burned the gates. The people living in Jerusalem had been living there in despair, in disgrace. Every morning when they got up, every night when they went to bed, they saw those broken down walls, which symbolized in so many ways their own defeat and their own struggles, and their own disappointments and frustrations as the people of God. So Nehemiah, coming from the palace of the king of Persia, comes into Jerusalem, encourages God's people to rebuild these walls. Straightforward, harmless kind of task. What could really be difficult about that? But as Nehemiah and the people begin to rebuild these walls, guess what? They're suddenly surrounded by by a room full of skunks. They suddenly find themselves facing some things they had never envisioned themselves facing. Suddenly now they're dealing with ridicule, they're dealing with mockery, they're dealing with criticism, organized opposition, conspiracy. In fact, the opposition from their enemies became so great that discouragement Set in. And now Nehemiah tried to correct that situation, uh, but as he tried to correct it, the problems just seemed to get worse and worse. And finally, when Nehemiah shouted, Keep working, it's almost like the people each grabbed a skunk (laughs) and ran. And so this morning, I want us to look together at spiritual warfare. Because you see, we're not really talking about skunks here. We're talking about what Satan can do and what the forces of evil can do in the lives of God's people whenever we determine that we're going to take something that's broken and try to rebuild it. Whenever we determine that we're going to take something that's wrong and try to make it right, whenever we commit ourselves to being agents of transformation and change, whether it's in our own lives, in our families, our churches, our communities, our nation, or among the nation, whenever we decide that we're going to take something that's broken and rebuild it, we're going to see this central truth come out. And that is, I will find myself in the middle of, of real and recurring spiritual warfare. Whenever you want to rebuild something that's broken, I can assure you that Satan and all of the forces that he can marshal will come against you and come against me to try to discourage us, dissuade us, keep us from being those agents of change, keep us from taking things that are wrong and making them right again. So this morning, that applies to any kind of rebuilding. Any kind of rebuilding can apply to trying to rebuild a broken marriage, trying to rebuild a broken family, trying to rebuild relationships of all kinds, trying to rebuild your church, trying to rebuild your community, trying to rebuild your own Christian life. Whatever it is, if you're committed to rebuilding broken down walls, you're going to find yourself in some intense spiritual warfare. Anytime you try to fix something that's broken, you're going to be criticized. In fact, when you become most determined that you're going to fix your life, fix your family, fix your church, fix your community, whenever you most determined that you're going to do that. People you don't even know will sometimes show up to tell you why it can't be done, shouldn't be done, ought not be done, never could be done, and why you're a fool for ever thinking it could be done. And if you're not prepared for that kind of opposition, then discouragement can set in and Satan can use that to defeat you and what God wants to do in you and through you every single time. So we're going to spend a few weeks looking together from this text at the topic of spiritual warfare. And One of the reasons why I want to do that, besides the fact that it's just what we come to next in the book of Nehemiah, is the fact that I'm afraid a lot of us don't really understand what spiritual warfare is and what it's all about. And if we do, then unfortunately many times we're woefully unprepared to deal with it when it begins to rage in our own lives. So we're going to be looking at two things over these next several weeks. Number one, we're going to be looking at the schemes Satan uses against us. And then we're going to be looking at the power God makes available to us as we find ourselves dealing with spiritual conflict, spiritual warfare. The schemes Satan uses against us, and then thankfully the power God makes available to us so that we can be victorious in this battle. What I want to do this morning is begin very quickly, and I'm, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here this morning. We're just sort of laying the groundwork. I want us to begin looking at some of the schemes Satan uses against us when we determine that we're going to rebuild broken things in our lives or in our world. You you know, in just about any kind of athletic competition, one of the things that a team does to try to prepare for that athletic contest is to study its opponent. Study how the opposing team operates so you watch films, you study scouting reports so that you know what your opponent will do in certain situations, how they run their offense, how they run their defense, what plays they like, how they react to certain situations. And so you try to get to know your opponent so that you can be prepared in advance for what your adversary is going to do. And here's something I'm very convicted about. If athletic teams will do that, if they will go to lengths like that to understand their opponent, then surely we, as the church of Jesus Christ, the people of God, ought to take just as seriously our preparation in understanding Our adversary, as we enter into this battle against the one Scripture says, is the enemy of our souls. and His object is our destruction, our defeat, our discouragement. And so we need to be prepared for what he does, his antics, his strategies, his schemes, and the Apostle Paul says, we can prepare. We can know how he works and the way he operates. If you'll look there in your message guide, I I have a verse, 2 Corinthians 2.11. Now, Paul's been talking about a lot of things in the Christian life and how we need to live our lives, and he comes to verse 11 to say, I'm telling you all this because, or this is so, we won't be taken advantage of by Satan because we are well aware of his schemes. Are you well aware of the schemes of Satan? Paul says we ought to be, we can be, and we ought to be well aware of the schemes of our adversary. And so we're going to look at some of that this morning. You see, and in, in, in the reason why is, Paul says, we don't want Satan to be able to take advantage of us. We don't want Satan to be able to exploit our weaknesses, We don't want Satan to be able to catch us unaware. So we come to Nehemiah chapter 4, and here are the people of God, God's Old Testament people, busy at work, rebuilding the broken down walls of that great city, when out of nowhere, they come under blistering attack from their enemies. And in examining the way God's Old Testament people were attacked by their enemies, I believe we can get a really good handle on how Satan often attacks us as God's New Testament people. Now, if you were here the last time we were in Nehemiah, it's been a couple of weeks, we we did some different things over the last few weeks, we spent some time in Nehemiah chapter 3, and we saw some pretty exciting things happening there. We saw these people who had been discouraged and defeated coming together. We saw everybody finding their unique place on the wall, and they were busy at work rebuilding the walls and the city of Jerusalem. In fact, I think we saw some pretty incredible things in that third chapter. But look what happens when we come to our text for today. Nehemiah chapter 4. Look with me, beginning with verse 1. We'll read the first couple of verses here. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring these stones back to life from these heaps of rubble burned as they are? And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, "'What they are building, if even a fox should climb up on it, it would break down their wall of stones.'" Here are the detractors, here are the discouragers, here is the enemy and they are doing their work to try to distract God's people and keep them from the victory that God has told them they can have as his people. So there's several things I want us to look at here this morning. And I really do want us to lift this story out of its ancient historical context and see if we can't bring it into our own contemporary reality. And I want you to ask yourself this morning, as we look at some things, what is it in my life? That I need to rebuild or that I am trying to rebuild? Where do I want to make a difference? How can I bring about transformative change? And I want you to be prepared for the way that Satan will attack you and attack me when we get to this point where we really want to be used of God. Let me share with you about seven things here from this text that we see the enemies of God's Old Testament people doing and that we will experience Satan doing in our own lives when we decide that we're gonna take something that's broken and rebuild it for the glory of God. Number one, Satan will belittle my ability. That's the first thing that we see happening here. He will tell me that there is absolutely no way God can use me to change anything. He'll tell me that I'm just not capable. Do you see what Sanballat says here in, in front of all these other people? He says, what are these feeble Jews doing? Do you see the word feeble? You're weak. You're impotent. You're incompetent. You don't have the ability to take on this challenge. God can't use you in this way. And then Tobiah comes along and says, well, you know, even if you do get something up here, let me tell you what's going to happen. I ain't going to last It's just a fox gets up on it. It's going to crumble to the ground. You can try, but it's all going to fall apart because you're a bunch of nobodies. You don't have any ability. You don't have any strength. You don't have any capability. And so we see the enemies of God's Old Testament people belittling their ability. I want to tell you something this morning. You're going to find all kinds of naysayers out there. There are going to be all kinds of people who look at you and what God wants to do in and with your life, and they're going to say, you know what? You can't do that. I want you to understand this morning, God says you can. If He has called you to that, He has equipped you for that, you be prepared for those who will come alongside and belittle your ability. That's the first thing. The second thing I see the enemies of God's people doing here that Satan will also do, and that is they will attack my motives. They'll attack my motives. Now, we have to go back to chapter 2 to really, to really see this, but if you've been with us in this study, you'll remember that when Nehemiah first arrived in Jerusalem from Persia, You'll remember that Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, and all these other folks accused Nehemiah of actually rebelling against the king by rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. I don't have time to go back through all of that history this morning, but that's what they were accusing Nehemiah of. You're just rebelling against the king. Now, that's not what Nehemiah was doing, but that was the accusation. These guys are saying, we know why you're doing this. Nehemiah, you're you're trying to rebel against the king. You're, You're trying to make a name for yourself. You want to be the hero here. This is all about you. And they begin to judge his motives and begin to attack his motives. And I can promise you the same thing will happen to you, the same thing will happen to me when we make ourselves available to God to be agents for change. People will attack our motives. They will assign all kinds of objectives To what we believe God has laid on our heart to do. Number three, Satan will mock my optimism. Satan will mock my optimism. Again, when when Nehemiah came to Jerusalem and he saw the mess that was there, he was honest. He told the people, We're in a mess. He said, But we don't have to stay in a mess. We can rebuild these walls. And the people said, you know what? We can. We don't want to live like this, the way we've been living for 141 years. We can do it. Let us arise and rebuild the walls. But now Nehemiah's enemies come and say, will you really restore this wall? Will will you really do this thing? And they begin to crush their optimism. Because the people at first had said, yes, we can do this. The enemy came along and said, no, you can't. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. This is too big for you. You can't do it. The proverbial cold water committee just comes and crushes their optimism. Fourth thing, Satan will ridicule my enthusiasm. Look at this question that's asked. Will you offer sacrifices? In other words, do you really think there's going to be a day ahead when you celebrate a victory here, when you have sacrifices and you you praise God for what's happened? There's not going to be a victory here. You've been living in defeat for 141 years. That's not going to change. You're going to keep living in defeat. So they just pour cold water. They crush that enthusiasm that they had about being real agents for change. The fifth thing that Satan will do, he will question my intelligence. Check out this question. Will you finish in a day? <laughs> in other words, you really think this is possible? You're an idiot. Fixing this mess take the rest of your life. It'll take the life of your, your children and your grandchildren. This isn't going to be finished in a day. In fact, it's not going to be finished at all. It's a pipe dream. It's impossible. And you're crazy, crazy for ever thinking this could ever really happen happen question my intelligence finally or number six satan will magnify my problem the situation in 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 jerusalem was a problem it it was big but now the enemies come and say nehemiah you need to look and see how bad this really is there are heaps of rubble everywhere this isn't just broken stuff stuff's been burned too there's more here to do than you can possibly imagine this this situation is way bigger then you realize you might as well throw in the towel right now because you're wasting your time. This is too big. And then finally, Satan will use criticism to discourage me. Now this is really what's been happening all along here if we, if we look at it carefully. My ability has been belittled. My motives have been attacked. My optimism has been mocked. My enthusiasm has been ridiculed. My intelligence has been questioned. And my problem has been magnified. So as Nehemiah and the people here are trying to work, they receive this criticism because they're trying to fix something that's broken. They're being verbally attacked for trying to take something that's wrong and make it right again. Can I tell you something this morning just in case you don't know it? Anytime that you or I or we as the people of God start talking about fixing something, fixing our families, fixing our churches, fixing our communities, we are opening the door to all kinds of criticism. I'm going to tell you the way you'll you can go through life and never face criticism. Just decide you're never going to try to fix anything. All you got to do is sit there and do nothing, and you will never, ever have to worry about being criticized because you only get criticism when you try to change something. You only get criticism when you try to turn something around. You only get criticism when you take something that's wrong and try to make it right. You only get criticism when you take something that's broken and you try to rebuild it. My friend, you cannot be God's man, you cannot be God's woman without having to face some criticism. And if you're not prepared for that, then Satan will use that criticism to discourage you and cause you to give up, We see how that happens right here in chapter 4. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 tells us that the people had been rebuilding the wall and they had rebuilt it now to half its height. They were halfway done. How did they get that far? What does the verse say? Because they had worked with all of their hearts. They had thrown their heart into this task. And now the walls are built halfway up. But look at what happens in verse 10. Here are the results of criticism, the impact of criticism. It says here, the strength of those bearing the burden is failing. There is so much rubble. We will not be able to build the wall. They had accomplished something incredible. The walls were halfway up. Now suddenly they're saying, we just can't do it. We can't do it. That's the impact of criticism. Instead of listening to Nehemiah, instead of listening to God, the people were now listening to their enemies and the, the work ground to a halt. You know, there's a story about criticism and the effects of criticism that goes like this. Maybe some of you've heard it. There was an old man and his grandson. They were starting out on a trip. They had a donkey. So as they started out, the old man was walking, the young boy was riding the donkey. They traveled only a short ways when they passed a group of people, and they overheard them say, would you look at that? A perfectly healthy young boy making that old man suffer on his feet. So they thought, okay, let's do something here, and they switched places. And uh, the boy got down and walked, and the old man rode the donkey. Everything was going fine until they passed another group of people who said, Would you look at that? That old man making that little fella struggle to keep up. And so they thought, Okay, well, maybe, maybe we better try something else. So they decided they would both get on the donkey. And they went on their way and everything was fine until they passed another group of people who said, can you believe that? Would you look at those two heavy brutes making that donkey suffer like that? Okay. Now what are we going to do? Now well, they decided they'd both get off the donkey and they would both walk. Everything was great till they ran into another group of people who said, would you look at that? Can you believe that? A, a, a perfectly good donkey not being used. Well, finally, in desperation, the old man and the young boy arrived at their destination. The young boy was walking. The old man was carrying the donkey. Now, what's the point of that? The point is this. If you let criticism guide you, you will never get anything done because you will never please everybody. Did you know that? You'll never do that. You'll never please everybody. That's why the only person you need to worry about pleasing is God. If God has spoken to you, if God has given you instruction, if God has told you something you need to do, then get prepared for criticism, but do what God has told you. To do. Fact is, church, I'm becoming more and more convinced that more and more of us ought to get more and more criticism than we're getting. Men, some of you need to be criticized for staying at home too much by the guys who never stay home. Ladies, some of you might need to be criticized for putting your family before your career. Students, some of you need to be criticized for holding on to your standards of morality and purity. Tell you, something's wrong when we as God's people never face criticism because Christianity runs counter to the culture. Christianity runs counter to this world's way of thinking. Christianity runs counter to what this society says are the accepted norms and standards of 21st century American life. And I I believe one of the reasons why Christianity has been losing the battle for the heart and the soul of this nation is because we have been scared to death of criticism. Somebody's going to say something to us. Somebody's going to get mad. Somebody's going to make fun of us. Well, of course they are. Can I give you two words? Two words. Grow up. Grow up. You ought to expect that. It is part of the job description as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is time we stopped giving Satan the victory by listening to the critics, and it is time we started listening to the voice of God. It's time we stopped trying to please all of these people and start being passionate about pleasing the one who hung on a cross and died for us so that we might live for him. I wanna tell you, one of Satan's greatest weapons is criticism. And it will stop you and it will stop me dead in our tracks. It will keep us, as much as anything else I know of, from being the transformational people that God has called us to be, agents of change, Rebuilders of broken down walls, taking things that are wrong and making them right. If we listen to the voices out there, Satan will win the victory. And he'll defeat us every single time. My friend, I don't I I don't know. I don't I don't have any idea this morning where God may be calling you to be a rebuilder of broken down walls I I don't know where he's calling you to take something that's wrong and make it right I don't know where, where he wants to thrust you into the mix of this culture for his glory and for the sake of his kingdom and to fix things that are broken but every one of us has a place it might be you know what it might be Right now it might be in your own life, might be something in your own life, might be something in the life of your family, it might be something right here in the life of this congregation, might be in your community, might be in our nation, it might be out there among the nations. But God is calling you and He is calling me to be agents of change. Transformational kingdom people. Rebuilders of broken down walls. Don't listen to anybody else but the voice of God as He speaks into your heart and as He speaks into your life. And let let me tell you one other thing just to consider. Not only do we need to be prepared for that criticism... But we need to examine our own hearts very closely and make sure we don't have a critical spirit in us that crushes the enthusiasm and the motivation and the passion in the lives of other people who feel called to be those difference makers. We need to be very careful about that. We are very prone sometimes in the church of Jesus Christ to be critics in the worst kind of way, to have a critical spirit. And so not only do we need to be prepared for criticism and Satan's use of criticism, but we also need to make sure that we don't unwittingly become tools of Satan in exhibiting a critical spirit toward others. So I want you to I want you to bow your head with me for just a moment and let's ask God now to work in our hearts and in our lives. Heavenly Father, we come to this time, this conclusion of this service. We come to a time of commitment. We come to a time of reflection. Uh, We come to a time, Father, of introspection, of asking your Holy Spirit to shine the bright searchlight of his illuminating presence into the darkest recesses of our hearts and our lives. You have called us to be rebuilders of broken down walls, agents of change, take things that are wrong and make them right again. That is never an easy task wasn't easy for Nehemiah and God's Old Testament people. It is not easy for us as your New Testament people. And we can expect the attacks of Satan in all of the ways we have seen here today. From our intelligence being questioned to our ability being belittled. And Father, we we recognize that as weak, frail human flesh, it's easy to give in to those feelings and to listen to the voices out there and just continue to live in defeat. Father, You've promised us the victory. You have called us to this life and this purpose. and There is a world out there that is desperately longing Not just to hear from us, but to see in us the difference that only Jesus Christ can make. So, Lord, may we now, today, make the determination that we're going to stop listening to the voices of the people around us, maybe even some of them family or brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're going to listen to your voice. We're not going to try to please everybody. We're going to be passionate about pleasing you. We're going to let you take our lives and our futures and use us as transformational kingdom people to make a difference everywhere you lead us. Father, take these moments now and help us to make decisions that would bring honor and glory to you if there's any person here this morning in the sound of my voice who knows in his or her heart of hearts they've never come to the foot of the cross they've never in a personal life-changing way opened their heart and their life to the Lord Jesus Christ they've not had their sins forgiven they've not known what it means to walk in a personal relationship with you and maybe part of the reason why they've they've not done that is because they've been afraid of what somebody might say Been afraid somebody would make fun of them, mate. Be afraid somebody would criticize them for, for wanting to give their heart and their life to you. Father, I pray today would be the day of that person's salvation. I pray in just a moment they would slip out from where they are and come down and Lord, just share with me their desire to enter into a personal relationship with you. And Lord, we're probably all struggling with things in our lives right now where you've called us to be difference makers and it's been hard. Maybe we feel like giving up. I pray, Lord, today You would just give us a renewed enthusiasm for what You've called us to do and what You've called us to be. Father, we commit this time to You now. May You use it for Your honor and glory. It's the prayer that we pray in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask You to join me in standing, if You would. We're going to sing together. This is my desire, Lord, to honor You. With all my heart, I worship You. give You my heart. I give You my hands. I give you everything. I listen to your voice alone. I've got my mask here. I'll be glad to put it on if you want to come forward and would like for me to pray with you. These altars are open. If you just want to come and do business with the Lord here, you don't have to talk to me. You need to talk to the Lord. Any decision God may have laid on your heart, we want to give you an opportunity to respond to that right now. We don't want you to walk out of here not having responded to God's Word. You say, I don't exactly know how. I don't know what that means. That's okay. Just come and say, God's saying something to me. I'm not sure what. I don't have anything else more important this afternoon than to sit down here or go back here in a room and spend as much time as I need to spend with you. And that's true of other staff here today, if God's speaking to your heart. So as we sing, would you come as God speaks to your heart right now? This is my desire.